or in the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, it might be helpful today since we have no screens. Uh, we're going to be spending time in chapter 4 and in chapter 6. Uh, so it's a whole bunch of scripture. If you don't have a Bible, I noticed that no one moved. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, raise your hands and someone will bring you one. Uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, some of it's in your bulletin, not all of it. You can, uh, you can follow along. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. Now, when Simbalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and, and he said, Yes, what, uh, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and, and do not let their sins be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and, and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God. We set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, around Jerusalem, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is, is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the peoples by their clan with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and, and said to the nobles and to all the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and the other half had a spear, shield, or bow, coat of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand held, with one hand and held his, <laughs> his weapon with the other. Chapter 6, verse 2. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in Hekarapharim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me, four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent a messenger to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, 
And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king of Persia will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, great Bible verse, no such thing as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Methetabael, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us, let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood, and I saw that God had not sent him, but he, was pronounced, he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Sembalat and Tobiah, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and, felt great, and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, churches shouldn't be allowed to meet in schools. That was one of the lines in the email that was sent in, in 2014 to the School Board of Education for Fulton County about us. On top of that, the biggest complaint, and there was a very long email, but one of the particular complaints was that we were using school property to basically um, market our church by, by having our signs out front from Friday evening all the way through Sunday service. And so within a week, we've gotten pretty clear instructions that from now on, we had to only have our signs here at the school from Sunday morning when we showed up to Sunday after we left. And uh, that's what we did. Now that's, for me, probably the, the first and maybe the most I've ever experienced any kind of opposition being in the church, as far as as a church, for sure. And, and candidly, that's not so much at that. I mean... That's not a huge deal. It really didn't change major things. It didn't feel like major opposition, though there was clearly some distrust and some dislike. Where's separation of church and state, and how come a church can be in a school? And there were lots of questions about that, but, but it wasn't real opposition, not, not significant opposition. I mean, are you being opposed? I mean, really? Is, is the church being opposed? Now, if, if you read about China or, or, or Iran or several other places around the world, the answer would be absolutely. 
And I could probably tell stories, and people, and some of you know stories, and, and we could bring people up here who would talk about the reality of what's unfolding across the world, and it's tragic, and it's not just opposition, it's attack and it's death, it's all the way down. But what about in Roswell? Because though that is important to, to, to think about the, and pray for the persecuted church, we're actually called and invited to do so in, in the epistles. If we're going to take a reality of what opposition looks like, we have to kind of transfer it to here, otherwise it becomes this ethereal idea, and, and frankly, you'll just check out being like, yeah, that's not my world. So are you opposed? Are we opposed here in Roswell in the good old USA? And some of you may say, honestly, I, I feel like uh, the kingdom of God is being opposed. Like I know that theologically, and, I, um, and that means it's people, God's people are being opposed because of that, and, that, and his work is being opposed. So I, I know it, but I don't feel it in any context in my, in my life, really, really. Now some of you may actually feel the opposite. You may actually be like, no, like, People of God, the work of God, the, like the kingdom of God is being opposed right now, present tense. I can feel it all the time. I feel like we're in a big fight right now. And I bet I, there were literally both of you in this room. But here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures are actually pretty clear. If you belong to God, you woke up this morning opposed. Like when you got out of bed, when you got in your car, there, there's a headwind that's against you, that's pressing up against you. There is resistance in your life right now as you sit here. And we don't talk about that a ton. But this passage brings it up. The kingdom of God includes the servants of the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God is and will be opposed. The scriptures are clear. They will be attacked, threatened, Slandered, manipulated, mocked, distrusted, misunderstood. And the chief culprit in that is, is the enemy himself, Satan. Satan opposes the kingdom of God. He's opposing the kingdom of God right now. He's opposing, trying to oppose the kingdom of God right here, right now. We have an enemy, and he's actively scheming against you at all times against me, against all of us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says these well-known verses to some of you. Finally, be strong in the, in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, because you're going to need it, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a scheming, constant spiritual reality that is opposed to us, present tense, right now, in your life. And it's not just scheming. It's not just opposition. And that's that there's also a desire for the evil one to truly destroy you. Again, we, um, there are, there are, Branches of Protestantism and of the church that, that talk a ton about the reality of the spiritual world, and we don't a ton. Um, we probably should more, candidly. But Jesus was pretty clear. He said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. His entire bent is to make nothing of you, to destroy all that is true, of all that is good about your marriage, about your inner life, about your relationship with God, about your family, 
about your work. He wants to destroy and steal and take it all away. He wants to make nothing of it. He's bent on that right now. On top of that, he's prowling. He's seeking to consume you. It's one of probably the most vivid verses about Satan's work. It says in 1 Peter 5, he says, Be sober-minded and watchful. And this is obviously connected to the... Be sober-minded. Be present to the reality of what's going on right now. Be watchful. Be aware. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan's desire is to consume you. He wants to take you all the way in so that there's nothing left of you and only him left. That's what he's trying to do at all times. That's what he's doing right now, as best he can. He is opposed to the kingdom of God. Satan is against you. He's purposefully, plottingly, decisively against you right now. He's opposed to you in all the things that you're trying to be and do and accomplish. You're opposed. You're not just opposed by Satan, but you get to be opposed by the world too. This fallen system, this fallen world system that that in every way is trying to undo, undermine, and make little of the kingdom of God, of the people of God, of the work of God. Jesus says it hates you. That this whole system which Satan rules has all of its structures, all of its substructures, all of its environments are built and designed to hate you. He says in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, if you were of the world, well, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Jesus and John the Baptist experienced some of what that, that hatred looked like, what some of that mockery looked like, what some of that misrepresentation and, and, and malignment looked like. And it's funny is that this is one of those perfect moments where you realize the world system is going to go either way. It's going to attempt every possible way to try and undo the work of the kingdom. And, and here in one verse, we have two fundamental directions. We have Matthew 11. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking. So he didn't drink. He didn't eat. And they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, coming and going, the world system will, will work its way to figure out the destruction, the undoing, the maligning, the mocking, the misrepresenting of the kingdom of God, of the people of God and of the work of God. And, and of course, we have our flesh that just gets to bring kind of the chaser for all of this. Not only is the enemy at work on us, not only is the work opposed to us and, and hates the kingdom of God and all that it's about. It's opposed to it, but also our own flesh, flesh opposes us. The, that remnant that's left over from our sin nature. And Paul, and, and probably one of the most famous passages in Roman, because we all go, yes, I know that, says in chapter 7, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, he said, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Feel like your life ever? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. This is reality. This is your reality, my reality right now, that whether we feel it or not, whether we sense it or not, we are opposed. 
We are being opposed. There is someone, there is a system, and there is a flesh that, that wants your destruction, that wants your undoing, that is pressing up against you, the kingdom of God, the people of God, and the work of God. And it is opposed. And we see this reality, the opposition in, in Nehemiah pretty clearly. I mean, he starts off by being mocked. Like, hey, this thing you guys are doing, like for real, like you, you're using old burned out stones. Even the things that, that you're trying to use to build something is actually going to fall apart. It's not even, it doesn't have any real life in it. If a fox jumps up on it, it's going to collapse. It's, it's a waste of, of your time. It can't really be done. What you're building is futile. It, it won't remain so there's lies, there's whispers. Then there's just straight on attack. When you see that things are going a particular kind of way, we see that suddenly the enemies are saying, okay, we're, gonna, we're actually going to do a, a full frontal, at least a, a hiding, coming behind, killing, and trying to just create distraction, create confusion, a surprise attack that will undo the work that God's accomplishing. And then when that doesn't work because they get found out and Nehemiah posts a guard and has people walk around with a, with a sword in one hand and with a, um, with a, with a trial in another they go, okay, that's not working. We're going to go another way. From the outside, we're going to come in and, and we're going to see if we can draw Nehemiah away. See if we can slander him a little bit and say, hey, listen, these, this is the reputation thing that's out there about you. And by the way, it's not just me. This guy says so too. And imagine if the king found out. And so, come, let, let's give you a chance to try and clear your name. So come out, come away, come away from the work of God. Come away from the thing that he's called you into and come in and be with us. Justify yourself to us. So you have to justify yourself to us and otherwise we might have to report you to be different than you claim. You see, what we're pretty sure is that what you say you're about is not really what you're about. That you actually want to be the king. That this whole thing you're doing is actually about you. And don't you want to clear that up? I mean, don't you want to make that okay? Because, because candidly, that kind of selfishness, selfishness and self-absorption that feeling of a noble work that you're doing. It's really about you. So unless you want that to continue, you better prove yourself to us. So there's opposition from the outside, and of course, as best, opposition from the inside. You hear from the, from the, the folks around Jerusalem and in Judea, the folks that are actually near the Samaritans, which is Sambal and Tobiah, they, they, just, they just start saying, it's not going to work. Like, it's just not going to work. I know you think you have a plan, but the work is too much. It's going to be too hard. It's not going to get done. You don't have it. It's not going to work. Give up. And as if those in Judea weren't enough, Judah weren't enough, you then have literally their families, family members, friends, and neighbors, the people that are from Tekoa and from Jerusalem, from Jericho, and they're going like, hey, come home. Come home. Someone's calling me here. Your children are fine. <laughs> you're creating waves. You're making trouble. By what you're about, about what you're trying to accomplish, by trying to, to change the status quo, by going against the culture that's unfolding, you're, you're creating trouble. Can you, just, can you just come home? Can you just live a normal life? Can you not make any waves? Come home. Stop it. It's affecting you, but frankly, it's affecting us. Come home. And lastly, we see with, with Shemaiah, which is maybe one of the most blatant 
Here's this man who is feeble. He has to stay at home, and, and, but he's respected enough that he goes, Nehemiah comes to him and he says, listen, what you need to do is you need to come away into some kind of a, a religious cloister. You want to be safe? You want to take care of you? Like, we're not sure what's going to happen to these other people, but you should take care of you because they're coming after you personally. Like, they're coming after you. They're going to kill you by night. Not, not just they're going to attack the people. Like, that's not going to work. Fine. But you know what? They think if they can get to you, you should protect yourself. You, bet, you better. And, and by the way, let's go into the temple. Because, you know, if you go into the temple, then you'll be like, I, I went into the temple. Maybe I'm praying. Maybe I'm offering sacrifices. Just let's, 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 let's go back into a religious context that'll keep us safe and, and protected and away from any kind of opposition. Let's just, let's just hide. Let's just run. Save yourself. So how do we respond to opposition? <coughs> Nehemiah has multiple responses, and you got to hear several of them. And, and there is no doubt a, a, a gospel response of how do we... How do we move towards the reality of, of, of the opposition that is present tense with us in front of us? The spiritual and the physical. How do we respond? Well, I believe we respond in two ways, and I got some props for us. I re- believe we respond with the, the truth of the kingdom and with the work of the kingdom. The truth of the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. Now, Here's what I believe is true. This is going to be fun. I didn't get to practice this, but it's going to be awesome. Here's some broken responses. Responses to broken responses to opposition. The first is mostly focused on the truth of the kingdom. It's really, really about, about the, the truth, not, not so much about the work. It's, if I'm being attacked, I'm counterattacking. Which you notice, by the way, Nehemiah never gets sucked into. Oh, they, they get armed, but they stay. Because they're about the work. And so, so no, but, but not everyone. Some of us find ourselves saying, no, no, we're being attacked. I'm attacking. You come after me, I come after you. You talk about my religion, I talk about your religion. You talk about my guide, I talk about your mother. I don't know, but all I know is, like, I'm coming after you. And if you live, if you've ever been on the blogosphere, and I, I can't believe I, made, I told the team on Thursday, I made the mistake of dropping below an article and reading. Be- I, I, you don't do it. <laughs> I, I couldn't get out. It's like quicksand. You can't get out of that thing. It's tragic. It was an article about how, it was so not in the sermon. It was an article about how the things that Christians do that make it really hard for non-Christians. And then all the Christians did the stuff below. I was like, it's the article! <laughs> the truth of the kingdom is the most important thing. We see this world system coming at us, and we focus all of our energy at opposing the opposition. We become defined by what we're against. Not because it's not true necessarily, but we become defined as all we are is against. We talk, but we don't serve. We bluster and we rant, but, but we don't sacrifice. We're right. We're right. We're dogmatic in our stance, but we're invisible in our deeds. We're all strength. We're no gentleness. And what's often, I find this fascinating, we oftentimes non-kingdom values creep in. Because see, when you have an empty hand, you decide that maybe there's some things that I think are important that though they're not kingdom values, 
uh, social things, maybe some economic principles, maybe some um, political values. They're not, they're not, they're not kingdom values, they're, they're, but, but they're close enough, and, and so maybe, maybe they could work together. We start opposing social, economic, political elements of non-kingdom principles at the same level as, or, or maybe at even greater levels than the very kingdom principles. Our, our, our synchronization, syncretism of the two becomes more and more effective and more and more intertwined. And, and no one says it better than, than C.S. Lewis. So um, follow this on the screens. Haha. <laughs> this is from uh, Screwtape Letters, which I think is one of the most brilliant books ever written. As if you're not familiar, C.S. Lewis wrote a book from the standpoint of a demon coaching his younger nephew demon on how to be a good demon, on how to tempt really, really well. And this is what he says in chapter 7. Wormwood, who's his uh, little novice tempter, Screwtape says this to him. He's saying this about how he handles his, his guy, his man, he says. So he says, let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then, let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then, quietly, gradually, nurse him on to a stage in which religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of its excellent arguments it can produce in favor of conservatism or liberalism. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Isn't that amazing? Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity, he is yours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. So, some of us find ourselves strictly or mostly or almost exclusively about the truth of the kingdom, about what we stand against. We're almost 100% focused about what we're opposing. That's how some of us respond to opposition. Others respond mostly with not the truth of the kingdom, but this is a safe illustration. With the work of the kingdom. Some of us are focused primarily on seeing the, the good work of the kingdom lived out. We're compelled by the, the cause to, to the calls by of the scriptures to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit the prisoner, to welcome the foreigner, to to care for the widow and for the orphan, to, to serve the least, to give to the poor, to educate the marginalized, to do justly and to love mercy. And this is right and good and beautiful. It is the work of the kingdom. But oftentimes, we stop there. Or if we don't stop there, we keep going. Sometimes in, in response to witnessing the excesses of and this has been certainly true for me, witnessing the excesses of the truth kingdom folks, we find ourselves not wanting to associate 
with that. And therefore, we start to just kind of suppress or to, to hide the truth. We compromise just a little bit. Well, this is okay also. We, we want to be inclusive. and We, we want to be open-minded, right? I mean, there is this great thing, the work of the kingdom, that should be happening. And so we want to be open-minded, open-hearted, open. But as G.K. Chesterton said, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. Some of us think that we can somehow stand for all things. That somehow there's a way that it's, that it's all okay. Because there's a good work that's being done, and it is. And some of us are deeply involved in the good work of the kingdom, and we're not connected to the truth of the kingdom. Or we're hiding the truth of the kingdom, or we're hiding from the truth of the kingdom. We want to engage a Jesus who came full of grace, but not full of truth. So we got gentleness, but no real strength. And then for some of us, we have neither. There's neither truth of the kingdom nor the work of the kingdom. We're afraid. And, and we've just quit. We've, we've run away. We're hiding. We see life as just being too hard. There's just too much resistance, so so we abdicate. We leave the work and we put down the sword. We walk out from behind the walls and say, I'm going to go out to be with my family to, to figure out what a normal life can look like. Not the life of the kingdom, which involves, of course, dying and, and spending ourselves fully for every element of which God would call us into. No, I'm just, I'm just going to go home. Where I can be comfortable and where I can live as unopposed as I can possibly be. Disconnected, distracted as much as possible, entertained probably a good bit, but, but uninvolved in the kingdom, the very kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. Loved ones, some of us don't need to be attacked. There's little or nothing to oppose. Like, like Satan doesn't have to do any work. The, the world is opposed, has nothing to oppose. We, we are the world. We, we, just, we literally have syncretized completely with it. We're just as resentful, just as indulgent, just as purposeless, just as angry as our culture. We're statistically just as likely to choose divorce, just as likely to live indebted. As I read earlier in John 15, when Jesus said, you see, loved ones, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And, and I think the question is, does the world love you as its own? Because, because if the world loves you as its own, then that's a wake-up call to all of us. The world should not call us its own. Oh, the world should be grateful we're here and the world should be frustrated we're here. The gospel does both. Neither truth nor work of the kingdom. So what is the gospel responses? Well, the, the response of the gospel is, is both, right? It's the work of the kingdom. It's the truth of the kingdom. Held together, bound together in Christ. It's, it's speaking the truth. Or let me say it this way. It's speaking the truth. Especially when lies are, are levied. Nehemiah's response when, um, when he gets accused by Sambal and Tobiah 
But again, I, I think that's just a great line. You're making this up in your head. You can use that. I think it would work great. Here's what's true. What's funny is that he doesn't get sucked in. They keep coming at him, and he doesn't get sucked in. He doesn't run to protect himself, and he doesn't even run to protect his reputation, which is another fascinating thing that you see in Jesus all the time. His reputation is getting smeared all over the place. He never goes to protect it. He's not worried about it. His reputation is secure. He sees through their purposes and all their bluffs. And by the way, they had a real thing. I mean, they shut down the, the rebuilding of the temple. Both those guys so they shut down the rebuilding of the temple for 17 years. So it's, it's real. They have some power. And it was on these same exact grounds back in Ezra. But he just says, Lord, strengthen our hands. So the gospel response is, is to speak the truth. When lies are levied, we speak the truth with courage. I think one of my favorite moments in the, in the Gospels is when, um, I think, well, maybe one of the best pictures of what it means to speak the truth is uh, when Jesus is, is in front of Annas, um, the high priest, and he's in front of the court, he's been beaten, uh, brought in, and uh, the, priest, the, the high priest says, tell me what you've been teaching. What, do, what have you been teaching your disciples? And Jesus says, why are you asking me? Like, I've been preaching in wide open circles, in, in the synagogue and in the temple. Like, ask the people. What have I what I've been preaching? And one of the officials right there slaps him across the face. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Can you, how would you speak to the high priest this way? This is what Jesus says in, in, uh, in John 18. It says, If what I said is wrong, then bear witness of, what, of the wrong. But if what I said is right, then why do you strike me? It's probably not a normal Bible verse for you to meditate on, but think about what he's saying. He doesn't remain silent. He actually draws him towards what is true. What did I say that's wrong? Because if I've said it, I want to hear it. I'm not afraid of the truth. But if I didn't, then what are you doing? What are you choosing to do? Are there people in, in your world that don't know you're a Christian? Are there people in your world that that think that you agree with things that you don't agree with because we just haven't told the truth. The other way we respond in the gospel is we stay at the work. We don't retreat. We don't run away. We resist the easy road. Nehemiah stays with it. He doesn't draw himself into self-protection. He doesn't go and hide in some kind of Christian bubble. He doesn't cloister himself off with principle. He actually says, if I ran away, it would be sin. It would be sin, he says. Be sinning against God. He stays at the work, recognizing that his choice to remove himself from the work would have adverse effects, and if it costs him his life, it costs him his life. But I think one of the, the clearest ways we understand that we, that we respond with the gospel is that we stay in the tension, which I think is what we struggle with the most, that we stay in the tension of these things. And we don't do tension well. We like bicamerism, right? We like, we like this or this. Holding the middle of the tension is very, very difficult. I think First uh, Peter does such a great job of walking us through this. He says, in First Peter 2, he says, Keep your conduct with the Gentiles honorable, so that when you, they speak against you, when you experience opposition, when they speak against you as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds. They may see your, they may see your, your kingdom works. 
and they're going to glorify your God on the day of visitation. So they're going to see your good works, even though they're opposing you, but they're also going to hear the truth, because in, ch in uh, chapter 3 he says, also always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Ready to make a defense to anyone who asks, which isn't that fascinating? Anyone who asks, why do you have hope? Which implies I'm living in a way that makes someone ask, why do you have hope? Different sermon, but man, right? We're to live in that tension, the tension between the works of the kingdom and, and the truth of the kingdom, and it's hard to remain there. It's hard for everybody, including my buddy Tim Keller. On, um, on, June, on September 29th, just a month ago, he wrote an article, an op-ed article in the New York Times called How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System They Don't? That's what it's called. And he got pounded. I mean, and what's awesome is he got hit from both sides. Isn't it great? I actually feel like that's when you know you're holding the tension is when everybody thinks you're wrong. You're probably like, I think I am on to something. I live there a lot. He got vilified. People are like, I don't think he's a Christian anymore. So there's an entire, I mean, seriously, you know, nothing like Christians. We know how to, you know, shoot our wounded and kill our friendly fire. Um, and then there's a whole set of people that are like, I mean, the article's fantastic. I encourage you to read it, especially in the season of election. I think it's very appropriate. Um, but it was, it's just, it's fascinating to me that as he actually calls and invites Christians towards living in such a way that should honor all well and think well, that there's a whole other slew of folks that were just like, stop pushing your Christian crap on us. He, he got it coming and going. He, he spoke the truth, and, and he was calling people to the work of the kingdom. So, we have to live in the tension. Gospel response to opposition is to remain in the tension, not to run to one side or the other, of whatever sides they are. The application is, is we have to risk. Both things require risk. If, if you don't believe that God's going to actually protect you, then you have to fight all opposition yourself. If you don't think that God actually is the one who, who knows all things and will make all things right, and this is actually his kingdom that we're participating in, not our kingdom that we're inviting God to help us with, then you, you, you need to fight everything yourself. You need to be in opposition to all things that are opposing, or you need to just hold fast, which is what the scriptures tell us to do, to hold fast to what is good, to cling, to stand, immovable, always abounding in the works of, works of the Lord, because it's not in vain. We risk to be misunderstood when we actually declare, yes, indeed, I do hold to a biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. I do. I actually do hold to this. And, and at the same time, I actually want to befriend and engage in redemptive relationships with people in the LGBT community. Those can both be true. Now, I, I tell you, there are people that would have issues with both of those things. But the tension is essential. It's the gospel tension that Jesus lived all the time and that we're called into. And it's complicated right now in, in so many quadrants. It's complicated. And yet it's, it's actually how we stand apart. It's how you know you're standing at the wall and doing the work, is that that's what, it, that's what the experience looks like. How do we become these kinds of people?
have to remember this. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. If you're being opposed and you're being challenged or you're being harmed or you're being attacked or you're being mistreated, God says, I know. And don't, don't fight back. I mean, Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you know how much faith that requires? Like, do you believe God? Do you believe God has you? He's saying there's actually a much bigger picture, much longer and broader story that I'm doing something and I'm actually asking you to entirely trust yourself to me. That's how we get the power. We say, okay, he will make things right. Justice is on him, not up to me. To remember what's, what's already been won. I think one of the verses that should roll around in our hearts and minds increasingly is, In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Can't lose what's ultimately and already been won. It is fundamentally and fully well with your soul. No one can take anything from you. Really. Really. And then we rehearse the past and the present faith and present faithfulness of God. I think one of the amazing things that lead us to say, I want to continue being someone who work, does the work of the kingdom and with the truth of the kingdom is, is 52 days. They completed the wall in 52 days. Every commentator is like, what? I mean, you know, a little more eloquent than that. That's basically their feedback. What? 52 days? The magnitude of the work? I mean, it's, it's a feat. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the pyramids or anything, but it's like, how did this happen in 52 days with the kind of things that they were experiencing? They didn't change their clothes, apparently, which was another part we didn't read, but 52 days. And you know what they say when they get to the end? God did it. They don't just say God did it. Everyone around goes, uh-oh. We have miscalculated reality. Ultimate reality is no longer what I think it is. Apparently, there's something else going on. And it says, and they, this is an amazing verse. This is what should be true of everyone who experiences God. It should be true of us. And they fell in their own esteem. Man, if you meet, when you meet Jesus, that's what happens. You fall in your own esteem. So what happens when they encountered God. They fell in their own esteem. They didn't think so much of themselves. Not after seeing that. Because God did the work. And as we see that God does that kind of work, well, then we become the kind of people who will, well, frankly, risk anything. Because we know that he is about something amazing. Uh, on the wall of um, Mother Teresa's home at the Little Children of Calcutta, uh, she has a, a, it's not a poem, I don't know what it is. It was written there. It's on my wall in my office too because it's fantastic. And, it, and this is one of those things that helps me with this kind of reality. She says, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind... People may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find... Serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. 
Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. But give your best anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. I think that is, a, uh, that is an understanding that is boiled out of an understanding of the gospel, out of an understanding of Christ, out of an understanding of what sacrifice means. You see, one of the amazing things that happened on the cross is that Jesus spoke the ultimate truth of the kingdom. As he hung there, he declared, it's this bad. You are this hopeless and this lost. It takes the very Son of God dying to make it possible for you to even be able to be in a relationship with him. It's this hopeless, unabashed truth. And the flip side of that truth is, and you are this loved, that the God of the universe would come down for you and pay for you, that he would drop all the way down, down, down for you. Truth. The truth of the kingdom and Christ on the cross and then the work of the kingdom as he's actually dying. As he's actually giving himself for you and I. That there's never been, more, never been a greater work of the kingdom of God than on that day in Calvary. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. And frankly, that's the thing that's going to galvanize you to be the kind of people who will pick up the sword and who will pick up the trial and will live with that tension and will walk into the world and be the kind of people that make people go, Tell me about the hope, because I can't explain you exactly. I don't think I even agree with you, but I can't explain you. That's, that's what kingdom living looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, because of Christ, we have no doubt, we have no doubt that we are wildly undeserving and wildly loved. Father, we, um, if you do not do these things in us, if you don't, if you don't build in us a, a heart of truth of the, for the kingdom and, and, and invite us to participate in the work of the kingdom, like we, we will run away and hide. We'll take care of ourselves. But you, you died to give us life, your life, and we want to live that out as much as we possibly can. So would you empower us? Would you allow a vision... Would you allow us to remember the Lord who is mighty? Give us eyes to see and, and, and enliven, awaken, and refresh our hearts with the, the beauty of Christ our Savior who lived and died and rose again for us that we could be with you. So Lord, May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we want to participate in that. To the great praise of your name and the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. It's your reminder meal. Remember the Lord. You get to remember the Lord here. So come, receive the body and blood of Christ for you.